we'd like to welcome you to the Institute's Leading Edge, a show dedicated to helping the automotive aftermarket service industry. In today's episode, now that you've got the cars in the shop, how do we close those sales? Here's what's coming up. You know, you got advisors out there that don't have, they lack the confidence, right? And they have the fear of that no. If we don't believe it, the customer won't believe it. So we need to make sure that we brush up on our confidence and in, in the team that we're working with and make damn sure that the work needs to be done and we're clear about it. We understand it, we believe it, so we can convey that to the client. You are communicating to these people what they need because it's in their best interest. You are not selling, you're helping. They would rather spend the money on anything else other than repairing their car. We're constantly faced with that challenge of, do I want to fix my car? Yes, you should fix your car because how, how else are you going to get from A to B? And that's our constant battle. For a better business, a better life, and a better industry, the Institute's leading edge. <laughs> it's like, all right, ready to go. Wait, hold on. Let me just stop you. Let me just stop you one more second here. There we are. We're up. All righty. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Institute's Leading Edge. I think we're on episode 27, and this is all about closing more sales, right? As soon as you're getting people in the door, how do we close more on each ticket? How do we, you know, really actually make the dollars? Uh, on my panel today, I've got Patrick Howard, BJ Lee, Mike Passman, and Ben Shelton. All of these guys have had a lot of experience in sales. Uh, or are new and have been in some intensive training. I was like, Ben, Ben, I think you're going to be on the hot seat today. Um, so being, being sales people in this industry, I feel, is a unique thing. And we happen to deal with a lot of challenges, particularly just for our industries. And uh, I wanted to start with... Um, Given the nuance of what we do, there's a lot of mistakes that, that come up. So I wanted to start with the question and just get us right into the dirt of it. Of uh, What are some of the biggest mistakes that you've made as advisors? <laughs> Patrick, you're smiling, so I want you to answer this one first. Um, uh, the amount of mistakes I've made along the way are countless. Um, uh, some of the biggest mistakes... Uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to get into that. You know, uh, I, I try, I try to, I try to, what I teach my people and those that I do teach as service advisors, um, you know, mistakes are going to be made. Um, it's, it's learning from them, right? How do we get better from the mistakes we make? Uh, mistakes are inherent in, in, in learning in the learning curve. Uh, it's going to happen. It's, it's how we channel that into something positive. Um, being a service advisor, um, it's not like selling used cars. It's not like any other type of sales. Um, you've got a lot of different personalities you got to deal with. Um, and, uh, you know, you're, you're basically trying to help people make good decisions about their car. And, uh, uh, the, the main, the main thing I, I guess I would like to convey to, to anybody who's watching this, or, or if you're a young service advisor, or even an old service advisor, um, mistakes are going to happen, right? Uh, uh, learn from it, uh, circle back and, uh, use that as, as a plus, not a minus. Uh, it's real easy to get down on yourself and, uh, let it ruin your, your day, your week, your month, if you can't get past it my two cents and i i mean i i think that uh as service advisors or shop managers we're we're literally in the worst position that you can be in for the most part because you have a person will go into the dentist's office and the dentist says you've got a, a cavity that you need to address and and you've got a root canal that we got to deal with well what do you say you say yes do you, do you care how much it's going to cost? At the end of the day, no. You don't get to choose. You don't have a choice. They don't even have what it's going to cost. Do you want to live with that root canal or with, with that pain? No. So as, as people in this industry, we are constantly faced with that challenge of, do I want to fix my car? Well, yes, you should fix your car because how, how else are you going to get from A to B? And that's our constant battle. And, I mean, over the years I've made that, I've let a lot of people walk out of my shop not fixing their car because I haven't, 
I wasn't trained or I didn't know how to handle that rejection the proper way. And I think that's one of the biggest things for advisors to learn is how to handle the, well, I don't want to fix my car today objection because we're going to get that every single day, no matter what kind of shop you work in. Nobody wants to fix their car. They're in there because it's an inconvenience and something bad happened to them. Not that they're, they're excited to go spend money. This isn't this type of industry, right? Absolutely. Yeah. We're, 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 we're faced with uh, an uphill battle. Um, I always tell my service advisors, you, you, you need to, you need to speak in absolutes. You need to tell them, look, uh, this needs to be done. It needs to be done today. Um, if, if it does in fact need to be done, any safety issues, obviously, um, if, if you give, if you give the, the client, uh, a, a, an inch to get out of doing it, they would rather spend the money on anything else other than repairing their car. Um, they're just looking for an excuse not to. So it's our, it's incumbent upon us to give them every reason to fix their car. Um, and that should be laid out in the sales presentation, why it makes sense to do it today, how it's going to save them money. Um, <laughs> and, and, and Mike's right. Uh, it's, it's, it's a tough job. Uh, nobody, nobody wants to, it's, it's like going to the dentist. Nobody wants to spend money on fixing their teeth, but there's real physical pain when you're, when you're talking about dental work versus their car, um, most people are reasonable, but you, you'll get those occasionally that uh, they've got to feel the pain before uh, they'll actually pull the trigger and, and do anything. Are you saying that we hit them over the head with a hammer when we're explaining <laughs> them what they need? <laughs> right. <laughs> I can Sometimes. tell you, uh, we talk about biggest mistakes, and I just want to share uh, something with you. And Cecil talks about this a lot in his classes because we've spent a lot of years working together. And uh, so one big mistake I think is telling a customer that the car is not worth fixing, right? It's their decision. You want to tread lightly on that. Um, We had an instance years ago uh, where we had a list of items the car needed. It was, I don't, can't remember back this probably back in the early nineties. It was probably, you know, $5,000 worth of work on an old Chrysler. and so he had this list of stuff that I had presented to him to present to the customer. And the customer said, well, what do you think? He said, well, I think it's an old car, and I, I'm not sure that it's really worth putting the money in. And this guy ripped us apart. You know, how dare you tell me my car is not worth it? Do you know where this car was? This was my brother's car, and he passed away, and we went everywhere in this car. And we, well, we listened to this guy for 30 minutes as to how important this car was to him. So... Uh, that was that was a learning experience for me back in the day. Now, I could imagine you get a car that you know is rusted up, is falling off the frame, and it just cannot be adequately repaired. And we don't want that liability, so we need to emphasize that with them. For for the most part, uh, we put the estimates together and we present it to them and let them make that decision. You know, so that was one of my learning lessons from years ago. What what is it? My my dad is always saying, "You didn't buy it. You didn't drive it." You didn't, you break, didn't break, break it. it. I didn't build it. You didn't break it. Yeah. Right. So, given given a lot of these things, why don't why don't you guys think we? Why do you think we don't sell more than we probably should in this industry? I'm going to say lack of confidence. You know, you guys advisors out there that don't have they lack the confidence, right? And they have the fear of that no, right? If we don't believe it, the customer won't believe it. So we need to make sure that we brush up on our confidence and, and the team that we're working with uh, and make damn sure that the work needs to be done and we're clear about it. We understand it. We believe it. So we can convey that to the client. Yeah. Ben, I would say the same thing, but I, w- I would call it trust. You know, you have to trust yourself. You have to trust that what you're doing is the right thing. And you have to trust that your staff is telling you the right thing, that they know what they're doing. You have to trust that it's estimated correctly and that you are not selling, you're helping, that you are communicating to these people what they need because it's in their best interest. And you also have to trust in your price. You have to trust, you have to have the knowledge of the numbers and trust that every single one of those numbers is correct and structured correct to help the customer get the experience they deserve. Um, so similar to what BJ said, just sort of a different word for it. I think well, it's, it's funny you mention that, Ben, because I, at a lot of these questions, trust is in a lot of the answers for these questions, and it's uh, trust. And yeah. if we have no trust, we've got nothing, you know. 
I think a big part that I see with, with some advisors is um, is going back to the numbers, knowing and understanding all of them and really, really trusting that your, your parts margin, your markup, your labor rate, your labor margins, all of it and how it all works together to benefit the customer. How does your price benefit the customer? How does what you're charging help them? How does it get them the experience they need? And why should they want to spend what you cost? And how does that help them? And then just trusting in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why, why don't you guys think, I feel like a lot of people come into our industry, customers, clients, whatever, they, they have a, a perception of us and everybody knows that perception and it is a lack of trust. There's, there's this, this wall that goes up immediately as they come in. How, how would you guys or what do you guys do to build that trust and kind of eliminate that perception of what we do? Well, I think, go ahead, Mike. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, like to, I like to try to speak to them at, at a level where, like, we're on the same page, we're on the same level. I don't want them to come into my shop and me introduce myself and already have them feel like I'm some hot-headed, pompous ass that runs a nice shop, please give me your money. You know, I like it when they walk in my door, I shake their hand, I say, hey, Jerry, thanks for coming in today. Um, what can we do for you? Um, you got to make it as comfortable as possible because the second that they're comfortable with you and they're comfortable with with the shop and how it's presented to them, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there that still don't tuck their shirts in. They got dirty shirts on. They got a, a front showroom that's dusty and grungy and magazines tossed everywhere. And I just feel like that that perception that your your client automatically gets is that this guy can't take care of himself. He can't take care of his front office. What's he going to do to my car? But if they walk, if they walk into my office and I mean, if I got my hair done and I got my nice shirt on and I got it tucked in and, and I got a nice pair of shoes on and a pair of slacks or a pair of jeans, whatever it is, and your showroom's tidy. Like I don't want to walk in and have it feel like I'm walking into a, uh, Bugatti dealer, you know, like I want it to feel like your money is being spent in a place that they're putting your money into the right places, not spending it on extravagant things like fancy showrooms and, and that sort of thing. So I think it's all about a personal level. If you can, if you can give your client the experience that they are going to be welcomed and trusted with what you're doing and what you're selling, I think that right away sets the bar um, at the right place for you as a shop? Yeah, what, what I try to do um, is ask the right questions, right? If I'm just meeting somebody for the first time and it's a new client, you know, we'll have a conversation about, you know, what what do we use this car for? What What's what's the long-term plan with this car? Is this an everyday driver? Is it a third car? Is it uh, a car your kid's taking to school? Um, it, you know, asking the right questions to show number one, to show that you care. And number two, to get some valuable information as to, you know, how do we prioritize what this car needs for, for the use, right? Um, uh, you'd be surprised how many shops don't, don't walk around a customer's car, uh, go, you know, come out from behind the counter to greet people. Um, <clears throat> you know, in my shop, we come out from behind the counter, we greet them. Uh, if we, if they're, customers that we know we try to greet them by name uh we're going to walk around the car with them we're going to take a look at it then we're going to ask some some questions you know uh uh, you know is this uh this is the car my wife drives uh you know my my son's taking this to school next summer uh it's a third car We, we 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 hardly ever use it we just use it as a spare car great you know now we can prioritize uh what needs to be done today and what can be done later right um that's that's how we, as service advisors, can show that show our customers that we care by asking the right questions. Right. I think it starts with the, with, with from 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 the first thing. Right. How do we answer the phones? Mm-hmm. Right. We get them in the door. They're happy so far. We get in the door. We have that perceived value. We get a nice, clean, and professional organized place. Right. Uh, we treat them with respect when they come in. Like you said, we shake their hand. We start building that rapport with them, and through doing these things, we're building their trust. Yeah. You you guys, go ahead. I was gonna say you guys have said a couple times respect. You you treat the customer with respect, and 
I kind of see an issue here. I feel like a lot of these shops, the ones who don't take care of their front their front room, don't take care of their own clothing, they, they don't seem to have a level of self-respect in that sense. And I feel like if they saw a little more value in what they do and they were able to say, I, I should respect myself and my craft and what I do, then that respect would then translate further. I believe if you're not happy with yourself, you won't be help with anybody, happy with anybody else. Yeah. If you don't love yourself, you're going to love nobody else. Also, I mean, success breeds success. Generally, you know, I go somewhere, I'm buying something for someone. You're going to buy more from the salesman wearing nice clothes, wearing nice shoes, you know, wearing the Rolex than the guy who's wearing ratty clothes, et cetera. I, uh, I talked to a financial advisor once. And he pulled up in a, like, it's through the year 2018, he pulled up in a late 90s um, Toyota. Not necessarily a bad choice, but it also, I could tell it was neglected, run down, he didn't take care of it. I didn't necessarily want to take financial advice from that guy. Right. So you're going to look at him. You'd rather take advice from the guy who bought the brand new, really incredibly expensive vehicle instead of the smart <laughs> no, financial decision. But... He had a good, an older car that was taken care of, you know, had good tires on it, was, you know, taken yeah, I guess, care of. I guess that's the difference is if he took care of it. Yeah. Yeah. Then I would feel good. Um, but with what you were saying in regards to, uh, I think that one of the big things with customers, the reception of us, is that all the customers are coming to us because they have baggage. They've been somewhere else. They've gotten these misperceptions, the conceptions they have of the industry and how they feel. And you have to take into account remembering that every single thing they're thinking about you, every single way they approach you is because of how someone else has treated them. Yeah. And that we have to identify almost why they have that baggage and what that baggage is and tailor our approach to validating those concerns. If, you know, they have a mistrust because someone misdiagnosed their car, probably want to make sure to really explain a little bit more than usual your training what you diagnosed, how you got there, or just with a little bit more of that relationship, which is always important. But, um, you know, really, really trying to eye in on the upset customers. When they first come in, they're really mistrusting customers. Why do they have that mistrust? What happened to them in the past? You know, what did their ex-boyfriend do to them, per se? And I think it that's, is, that's something that we're, we, we are constantly struggling with as an industry, and I feel like Cecil touches on this virtually during every single one of these is that guys like, you know, Patrick and BJ and Ben and all the guys that are on these podcasts and doing this stuff is they're trying to make this industry better for everybody. They're trying to make this industry back, get it back to a place of professionalism, professionalism and trust. We also have to remember most of the industry, isn't it? Yeah, and people's perceptions of us are built off of the other shots. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's yeah, they, that's what I mean. Is like we're we're constantly in that battle of trying to rebuild trust with people, which is why when you come out from behind the counter, like Patrick does, and I and I do now, um, you got to shake that guy's hand or that lady's hand and say, you know, hey Jerry, thanks for coming in today. Really appreciate you. Uh, what can we do, et cetera? You know, build that trust so that when you make that phone call down that later that afternoon and you give this guy a four or five thousand dollar estimate on his pickup truck or whatever you're working on he's already trusted you from your initial greeting and so you're not having to build that trust while you're trying to sell him a four thousand dollar estimate and, and that's already established and it's about setting and creating expectations right um you know uh uh, setting the expectation of when you're going to call them. And uh, it's always about um, under-promising and over-delivering. Um, if we can do that as an industry, right, um, there would be a lot more inherent trust. Uh, I can't tell you how many people come and say, well, you just want to sell me stuff. I don't want to sell you anything. Uh, my job is to make sure uh, I give you enough information about what's going on with your car that you can make an informed decision, right? Yeah. So we've got to break through that. Uh, they're just trying to sell me stuff that I don't need. So we've got to do a better job of, number one, setting expectations and explaining why it's necessary and, and what the value is in it, right? And creating value in everything that we do. Um, uh, that, and that's, that's kind of a double-edged sword because there can be uh, a point where the service advisor is talking too much, right? 
Um, uh, so I try to I try to set expectations before we get into the sales presentation, which is a whole different conversation. Um, we try to set expectations at the counter uh, and, and create a, a relationship, or at least start a relationship. Uh, you know, most people form an opinion about you in the first three seconds they meet you, the way you're dressed, uh, the way your business looks, uh, the way you approach them. Do you make eye contact? All these little subtle things matter, and then. And then setting the expectation at the counter. Hey, uh, you know, can we get? Can we provide you a ride? Uh, do you need a loaner car? What do you need? How can I, how can I make this experience for you better? Right? And and that's where we have failed as an industry. Um, and and I think many of us are trying to to rectify. I think I want to throw in there um, with all this <clears throat> uh, the word consistency. Yeah. Right. We don't just do it when we feel like it. We do it every day, every time, right? It's, it's, like, that, it's like that customer that comes in for the fifth time. You don't just walk out there and shake his hand the first time. We always walk outside the counter. Hey, great to see you again, right? Uh, you know, and if we're consistent at all these things that we're talking about, um, I think we can have nothing but success, right? But if we're inconsistent and then to give them a different feel every time they come in, they're, they're, it's going to be confusing for them. Yeah, agree. Yeah, I think the consistency can also come with uh, really believing in why you're doing those things. Mm -hmm. You know, if, you, if you're yourself and or your employees, if you're in a managerial position, believe yeah. in why they should walk out of the car, why they should build relationships. They're going to automatically want to do those things, and it's consistency is just going to come naturally. It's not going to be a routine. It's just going to be what should happen. Right. Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna shift gears here because I want to get into uh, the details. Uh, a little more about your guys' sales process, what you, what you do to pr prepare for sales, um, and then going into some objections so that the people watching uh, have some applicable stuff they can take with them after the show. Um, so, uh, Mike, what, is your sales, what does your sales process look like? I mean, you've obviously, uh, you, you obviously, first things first is you address their, you address their concern. I mean, um, the only reason they came into your shop today was to have that check engine light diagnosed. Um, if you lead into it with, uh, you know, we went through the inspection process and we found that you need uh, CV boots and tie rod ends and your tires are shot. Um, oh, and by the way, uh, your check engine lights because you uh, need some spark plugs and an ignition coil. Well, all of a sudden they're, they're on defense because all of a sudden all you're trying to do is seemingly sell them stuff. Whereas that goes back to setting expectations right in the beginning. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, I mean, for us, we, we use a digital inspection process uh, machine or digital inspection program. And for anybody out there listening that doesn't have one of those yet, um, if you're a advisor or a, an owner, get on it. They there's, are, there's some awesome DVIs out there. Well, and they just help so much in <laughs> eliminating that lack of trust that we've talked about already because now you can you can show them here this is what your your tire out end looks like or here this is the cv boot that's torn open versus uh them just assuming that you're telling them the truth right so i mean we go through and diagnose the problem and we go through every vehicle gets a multi-point inspection and then you approach the customer with hopefully they've went through the inspection then you talk to them and you say this is, this is what you came in for. We've diagnosed your engine light. You need X, Y, Z. Oh, and while we are going through the car, the technician found a couple of items that are um, safety-related that we should probably address. And, and following that, here's some maintenance stuff that if we take care of now, it's going to save you uh, money in the long term or potentially save you money because we can do it sort of uh, collaboratively with some of the stuff that we've already priced out. And I think that helps to cut down on a lot of uh, the extra expenses for people, which they love to hear. The second that you can save them money, and I don't like to use air quotes, but if you can save them money, really make them feel like you're saving them money in the long term, people love that. Um, you know, do you, do you phone up and try to change your energy supplier, your gas supplier, because uh, the other guy's going to be more money? No, no. You phone them up and say, can you be cheaper? And or can I can you save me some money long term, right? And if he can save you money long term, then you're gonna 
you're going to collaboratively work together to make sure that that happens. Um, and I, it's, it's the trust thing. I think the second that you can build that trust with your, with your client or your customer, um, it makes the, the sales process so much easier. Yeah. And you can, and you can do that legitimately. You can say, look, if, if we do this, then it's going to save, you know, this really expensive component and save you money down the road. If you're saving them money and you're building that reputation with them and that relationship, then they're going to continue to come back and be lifelong clients. So like, that ticket is not just worth uh, $1,100 or $1,200. That ticket could be worth a lifelong client who would use the, you for whatever vehicle they bring in. So being honest and legitimate with everything you do is, is in your best interest. Absolutely. And DVIs are awesome with that. Yes, they are. They're the best. BJ, what, what does your sales process look like? Does it differ in any, at all? Or? <laughs> no, I mean, I, mean, I think, um, I think they've, pretty much hit it but uh, i would just i mean running down the line uh checking in your customer building that rapport with them right getting all the facts from the customer on their information that they can provide for you that way you can get a proper diagnosis do a complete inspection get that estimate together and do not call them until you have all the facts for them right as a professional you're going to want to recommend what's best for the customer and their vehicle sell them on the benefits of doing the needed recommendations now versus later and how it could cost much more by waiting, uh, if that's the case, and close the sale, you know. Uh, and then part of the process is, you know, when they pick the vehicle up, you want to uh, thoroughly explain what you did, explain the warranties, you know, thank them again for their business and ask them for a referral. I mean, all those things, and, you know, there's variables to that, but I think if we're covering all the bases and we do it the same way every time, uh, we're going to be much, uh, you know, the, what do they say, the harder I work, the luckier I get. Right. So the more consistent we are every time, you know, the better we're going to get, the more sales we're going to close. Just a question. You said calling back only when you have all the information. What if you're promised, and this is just a hypothetical, but what if you're, you'd promised to call them at, say, 2 o'clock, but you don't have all the information at 2 o'clock? Then we call them at noon, and we let them know that we still need more time on the vehicle. Right? Okay. You never wait until 2 o'clock because that customer sitting by that phone. And if you know you're not going to have the information, that's why when you're doing your walkthroughs walk in your shop and finding out, gathering information, you know, uh, from your text and find out where they are on stuff, if you need more time, get the time in advance and they're not sitting around waiting for you. Yeah. Uh, Having expectations. Much, that's much easier to deal with than waiting for them to call you because they're, when they're calling you, they're antsy, they're nervous, and what's going on, right? Yeah. But if you're proactive in that approach, uh, you know, that's just, just a good thing to do. It right. catches them off guard in a good way. Right. Right. And then you change your, the times on your ticket. Yeah. Ben, you were the one who wanted me to talk about process. Um, yes. I'd say that your sales process starts at the write-up, that you're, you're not just selling the brake job and the oil change. You're selling the fact that you're in the building that I do and, and why I do them and why whatever I call you with, you should buy from me because it's, it, it's going to help you. Yeah, you sell yourself and you sell what, you, what your shop believes in, why you do it. And when you call these people, they're just going to buy. You'll find a lot of people don't even want an explanation at that point. They just trust you. You know, you start the relationship. Good luck relationships and trust. Um, but one big thing I, I've found also is with uh, the sales process and you're explaining things, um, heading off the injection with the benefit. You know, brake fluid, like what Mike said, brake fluid flush. Uh, you should do a brake fluid flush because it's going to stop it from damaging other very expensive components, such as ABS pumps. For reference, and I don't have, an ABS pump for your car is, you know, thousands of dollars. This is only a $150 repair. Boom. You know, you present the repair, the why, and also the benefits all at once, and just get rid of an objection before they happen. Just cut, you know, be very proactive is what I'm hearing. Yeah, very proactive, but also I think that um, soft selling with the Y at, at check-in and before the sales even happen makes all sales so much easier. You call the appointment at the check-in, you know, soft selling yourself, your company, what you do and why you do it will just make everyone buy a lot more. Awesome. I'm going to do a brief commercial here. Um, after this, uh, I want to get into objections. So those of you who are watching, if you have an objection that you're having a hard time with, or uh, something that a customer brings up that you just don't have an arrow for to say, well, this is why we do it this way. 
Um, Comment in the comment section down below, and we'll try and answer them during our objections. So on to the commercial, I'll keep it brief. Um, our advisor master program is still, uh, we're, we're still in enrollment for our second group. The first group that we did has been incredibly, has been performing incredibly well, better than we had hoped. Um, we've got sales rates that have jumped uh, up 20% and uh, overall GP percentages that are around 10% in growth. Uh, it, it works. It's, it's incredibly fun. We throw axes. Um, <laughs> it, it's a great experience. If you guys have any questions about it, uh, hit me up. Uh, you can either email me through Facebook or message me through Facebook or email me at uh, kentb at ifrave.com. So now moving on into objections. I wrote like four. I don't even know if they're good objections, but I know you guys probably have, are a lot more versed in the objections, Patrick, I know you've got notes on these, <laughs> but uh, let's just let's just trade some. They are. I'm not really sure what these objections are. So. Yeah, <laughs> let's let's trade some of these around and uh, get into it. So, Patrick, here's my objection. I think I'm just going to buy a new car. Well, let's talk about that. Um, uh, let's assume the repair was four or five thousand um, dollars. <clears throat> How much do you think you're gonna have to put down on on, on a new car? Oh, we're role playing. Okay, role playing. Honestly, I've got. I could probably trade this one in for two grand, and I've got two grand in the bank. Well, in the current condition, the car's not worth much, right? With all these, with five thousand dollars worth of repairs that need to be done, right? Mm -hmm. um, it, it it makes more sense to invest in this one. It's always cheaper to repair the car that you have versus buying another one. Long-term cost is gonna cost you uh, twice as much uh, than repairing this car. If, if we invest in this car today, right, you have no car payment, right? We have financing available. We can break that up into a year's worth of car payments for you, and then you have no car payments. And then you have a car that you can drive for another five years, right? So I always, I always use I always use the car payment. Uh, you know, you're going to have to put a few thousand dollars down. Even if you use this as, as a trade-in, they're going to want to get some cash on a new car. And if they're talking about buying a used car, then, then that's another conversation. The conversation goes something like this. Um, uh, buying a used car, you're buying somebody else's problem, somebody else's car that they didn't want to fix. Things you don't know are there. That's right. Um, so you think you're the only one that doesn't, want to fix their car, what do you think happened to this car, right? Somebody else didn't want to fix it, so you're going to be buying somebody else's problem. Yep. It's always, and, and this is true, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's almost always cheaper to fix the car you have. I can rebuild a car cheaper than they can go buy a car. New engine, new transmission, suspension, then they could purchase another car for Right. You know, I, I, uh, this really hit home because I've been um, reading a lot about personal finance. And Dave Ramsey's Total Money Makeover, he talks about the expense of a new vehicle mm -hmm. as well as the expense of, a, of buying a used vehicle and how that interest can grow and completely crush you over years of owning a vehicle. Yeah. It's always better to, to, to maintain and invest in, in your investment of the vehicle that you are driving financially, just period. Look, owning a car is, is, is a ridiculous investment. You're, you're never going to get your money out of it, right? It's, yeah. it's, not, it's not an investment in, in a financial investment of, uh, that's going to that's gonna pay dividends. It's right? not an investment, that's for sure. It's not. It's, it's, but if we maintain the car and we maintain it properly and we're proactive, the cost of owning that car is going to be much less than purchasing a new car every time. I'd say, you know, you should also have, I've seen, uh, and I've had one uh, in the past where you have a cheat sheet. Basically, it's a, it's a cheat sheet showing the cost of, of ownership of keeping your existing vehicle versus buying a new one. And it gives you a complete breakdown on a spreadsheet as to what those costs are and what the differences are. Um, I always, I'm sorry, uh, but I always, I always prepare for that one. And I'll I'll do the math on a thirty let's say thirty thousand dollar car right what's a car make, car payment going to be what are they going to want to put down right um, let's just assume your car's worth five thousand dollars and we've got to put three or four thousand dollars to get it back up to a hundred percent 
it's it's financially it just makes sense. I mean, that's not even a year's worth of car payments to fix this car. You know, and I always use the car payment analogy. And when you put it in terms like that, people can understand that, right? Yeah. And now you got car car payments that people are paying seventy two and eighty four months for cars. They're paying forever, and they still got to maintain it. Five and six years. That's right. No, we, we and you also have to remember that a, a thirty thousand dollars isn't a thirty thousand dollars car. It's thirty thousand plus eight thousand, ten thousand dollars in interest. Mm -hmm. That's forty thousand dollars. On uh, the state of where I'm at, we have 3.4% property tax every year. So your $30,000 car has an assessed value of $25,000. You're paying 3.4% of that every year versus paying 3.4% of $3,000 in assessed roll car app. To title your car, that $30,000 car, you're going to have three grand just to title it. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, I, mm -hmm. I, the numbers I've given already are, are five times the cost of the repairs. You then look at a used car. A used car is going to need exactly the same amount of repairs plus the fifteen to twenty thousand dollars total total price paid for it over the course of, the, of you know the ownership of the car. So exactly. you're now gonna have the same repair cost, plus it's a newer car so repairs cost more, plus you flush fifteen grand down the toilet. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mike, so, you, you said there's it like no math where 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 fixing the car costs less. Yeah. And most people if they brought the car to you and they're at the point where they're arguing with themselves, they like the car. It it serves the function. They would have it would have been a much different conversation if they didn't like the car or want to fix the car. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mike, you you sound like you had something to say. You're on mute. You're, you're muted, buddy. We're good. Go. Um, I think it's uh, you know, it's what everybody's been saying. We literally just had um, a customer who's also a, a friend of mine. Um, she had an X5, and uh, we we've been telling her for like three years now. Okay, this needs to be done. This needs to be done. The next time she comes in for a service, now we've added a third thing. Next time she comes over, now we've added five. So now we have a $7,000 estimate on this car. Whereas if we had fixed it three years ago, you know, after driving it for another three years, it would have been another $2,000 repair instead of seven. And we could have kept this car going for another three or four years. But instead, now she's at $7,000 and she's just fed up with it. So she washes her hands of the car. And now she's into another vehicle. I don't even know what she's paying. I don't really care. It's none of my business. But it's also, in my opinion, it's been a major downgrade because we went from a BMW X5 to like a Chevy Traverse or something. Um, like a, and even her husband's like, yeah, this thing's a, not a great car. <laughs> well, like no matter how many times I had the conversation with her, hey, we should get this car repaired. It's going to last you for a lot longer if we just put some money into it. She was having none of it. But nine times out of ten, that conversation does go the other way. You have that conversation with someone on, well, I don't know if this car is worth putting five grand into. Well, you know what? Maybe, maybe to somebody else it's not, but to you, the person who currently owns the car, who probably doesn't owe any money on the car, Absolutely, it's worth it. What are you going to go buy for five grand? You're going to go buy another hunk of junk. It's a lot of work, right? You're going to buy a car that's going to need five thousand dollars worth of work. So all of a sudden, you're out ten grand. We have, as service advisors, we have to be prepared, and this goes back to preparing for the sale, right? Um, we have to be prepared to, like Ben said, justify our price and and justify why it makes sense. Okay. Um, to, to repair the car and repair the car at our cost and at our facility uh, and the way we say to repair it. Um, lots of times what I will do is we'll get a game plan together, right? These things have to be done today uh, and, then, and then we'll come back in six months and, and take care of these things and then, and then we're up to speed, right? We break it up into two manageable payments for people. So <clears throat> when you're at the counter, you have to have dexterity and be able to walk and chew gum at the same time and, and be prepared. Be prepared. <laughs> Sorry, I think I just hung up on somebody. Uh, be prepared to justify uh, why. Uh, and it always comes down to price and value, right? What kind of value are you going to get out of investing in this vehicle, right? And, and be prepared to justify that. So, so if, if you're new at writing service, uh, practice these things. Um, uh, ha have something that you say all the time. And, and my, my go-to is always the car payment breakdown, right? Uh, you're going to spend four or $500 a month. 
that's four or five thousand dollars a year, right? Fix this car for four or five thousand dollars, <laughs> and you don't have to spend that money. You got no payments, and you could drive it for another five or ten years. Yep. It's 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 very simple math, and when you present it that way, you got to remember people get emotional about their cars and they get frustrated, right? And and they've just had it with the car. Uh, you've got to talk them off the ledge and 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 be the voice of reason. Yeah. Well, I want I, I want to get real quick. I think that we also get hit with it like I don't remember being able to eliminate the correlation between the value of the vehicle and whether it's worth fixing it. Like the word worth, people tie to the fact that cars only worth three thousand, but the value of a vehicle in terms of whether of what it costs to fix it is not the same thing. It's the intrinsic value of are they happy with it, does it fulfill its needs, and what is the total cost of ownership in the big picture, not just the fact that Kelly Blue Book says it's a three thousand dollar car and it needs right. two thousand dollars worth. Exactly. There's no correlation between those two things. And being able to eliminate that correlation and make people understand that is really important to that objection also. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Well, I want to I get to some of these other objections. Uh, Jimmy Purdy said, at 60% markup on parts, how do you guys justify 8 to $10 a quart of oil? Well, a quart, a quart of Castrol Edge professional, uh, 5W30 costs $10 at advanced auto parts. So it's really easy for me to justify that. It's cost. It's cost, actually. Like, I literally went down in advance and checked. The oil I'm using at cost $10.42 at Sarek costs, I think it's $9.87 in advance. Um, but that aside, that specific situation, uh, it doesn't matter what it costs. It doesn't matter what a single item costs. You look at the micro. The macro is that my price is based on one thing, and it's what the business has to charge to make a fair profit. And the fair profit helps the customer to allow me to offer them the experience, the service, the warranty, and all the things they need and deserve. They just don't realize it. And they don't necessarily create the correlation between what is a quarter oil cost and all these things I'm getting that help me. Those are the same thing. The price of quarter oil is the money you have to make for you to, you know, number one, make a salary that makes you happy so you stay at the job and you're happy to help them. Number two, upgrade the front of the building to look good, uh, have nice polo shirts like Mike's wearing, um, you know, have all the things the customers deserve. Loaner cars. The loaner cars. Yeah. The, the warranty, doing the right thing. Like, they come building, in. Building the value into their experience. Yeah. And a crankcase vent hose, unrelated brakes, but the perception is you broke it, you spend the $200 to fix it because you're charging a fair price. Yeah. I'll, 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 I'll run with what Ben's saying. I mean, We've got a, a truck in the shop right now that um, is owned by an older guy. He's been driving it for about two years now. He just, well, he bought it two years ago. In that two years, he's probably had, I don't know, let's say he's had three, maybe four services on this, on this car. And it's been Jiffy Lube maintained. So Jiffy Lube saves him on a synthetic oil change, let's say $15, just for an easy number. So in that four oil changes, uh, the quick math says that it'll say he saved 60 bucks over two years of getting that car service at Jiffy Lube. Then he comes to my shop for uh, a check engine light diagnosis, and all of a sudden I've handed him a $4,000 bill for half a dozen items that we found that had he been getting his oil service done with us over the last two years, he would have probably found. we probably could have broken that up into two maybe three different different repairs, um, which would have not saved him money, but it and, would have made yeah. the initial hit a lot, a lot less. Right? And, had you and, the, and had you caught some of those things sooner, he may not be spending as much today. Exactly. Right. And you look at the fact that if he even had to put 500 bucks in a credit card, they're going to 60 bucks in it. <laughs> well, I think that to lead with what Ben said, I think, we need to sell the value of what we do, not, not what and how we do it, not, not necessarily the price, right? It doesn't matter that my oil service is $115 and you can go down the street to Jiffy Lube and get it done for 100 bucks. Does Jiffy Lube have trained technicians? Do they use um, OE um, oil and filters? Are you going to get a multi-point digital inspection from them with recommended services and um, factory-recommended fluid changes and things of that nature, you know, it's, it's selling the value of what you do 
No. Also, what? I'd say also, it's not, it's also just in general, why would a customer be focusing on like order all costs? I, yeah. I would be talking about why. Because that's, because that's what they up. know. You have to give them other reasons to care about. Because right now, a lot of customers come in and all they know to ask about and talk about is the price because they don't know anything about cars. Yeah. Right. right? And, and you use that to talk about what you do and why you do it. And if you can turn it into a value that, statement. They're not going to ask what a quarter oil costs, and they're going to know regardless of the price is you're charging fair and honest across the board in order to help them. Yeah. I want to I get to some of these other objections. Um. And, and, and honestly, Mike, you just kind of went into the next one, which is this This other shop said it only needed X. Why is there all this extra work? Why are you so expensive? Why did you find work that wasn't there previously? Well, and I think that leads right into, <laughs> well, we've got factory trained technicians here that have been in the industry for 10, 15 years. Um, they they know your vehicle they know the quirks and the things that we're supposed to be inspecting i mean it's been like a, an ongoing battle especially in our small city with um being in the euro world of a guy going to x shop and having an inspection done and then coming to our shop and us finding two thousand dollars more worth of stuff but it's not that we're calling things that don't need to be done it's that we know how to check that ball joint. We know how to load the suspension the right way to make sure that we're actually checking that um, control arm bushing properly. Uh, we know where the oil leaks come from on this car, so we're making sure that we're looking at those things. And we're not doing them so that we can try to put more money into our pocket. We're doing that so that we can do our job properly, do it thoroughly so that we're giving every single customer that comes into our shop the same service and the same level of expertise that is expected from our business. I think we, we always want to, you know, when they come up with the, you know, why you're so expensive, I think what we want to do is compare apples to apples, right? We have a list of benefits of doing business with us, and here's what we have to offer you, Mr. Customer, right? Let's see what they have. What is their warranty? What is this? What is that, right? I mean, uh, far more times than not, you're going to find out that we do much, much more for that client than anybody else does. Right. Yeah. So, and we're going to use a better quality part. Uh, we're going to have a, highly a, trained a, technicians, highly trained technicians that are, that are going to do the job right the first time. It's just going to save them time and money. You're right? going to have a better warranty. All of that. Yeah. And we have to be prepared to justify that. Uh, if they ask, um, if, if, if we haven't done a good job, you know, initially, and, 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 and setting expectations for these customers, they're going to ask these questions. <clears throat> when I get a customer that comes in the door, uh, obviously we're going to change your oil, Mr. Customer, but here what we believe in is doing a full vehicle inspection every time you bring your car in. And the reason why is so that we can find and fix problems before they happen or be before they become big problems, right? I can't tell you how many times I've gotten people coming from the, from the dealership saying they needed X, Y, and Z, and they missed C, D, and E. And it didn't even need X or C. You know, it didn't need these other things. So, um, you know, everything, and, and I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not into bashing other, other shops at all, and I won't do that to a customer. Um, but... People, technicians will find and repair the things they want to find and repair. Whereas in our shops, everybody, we all have, we all have that why, right? It's, it's, it's culture. It's built into who we are as a company. Uh, that's why they work for us. We look at every car the same every time. Uh, it doesn't matter if I look at it or one of my technicians look at it because we've all been trained to look at the cars the same, to find to find the issues with those cars. And then we have a conversation with the customer about what's a priority today and what they're looking at in the future, right? Not everything has to be fixed today unless it does, right? And those are the conversations we need to have at the counter and having good communication front to back, right? The guy at the counter needs to talk to the technicians. I even go out and look at the car so I can see what the technician saw uh, so I can get on the same page with them. Oh, that looks bad. Uh, this one, this needs to be done so I can get on the phone and convey that to the customer in the sales process, right? 
these things need to be done today. These other things we can do next time, and then we'll get you back up to speed, right? Um, but, but setting those expectations in the beginning about what we do and why we do it with the customer so they know what to expect, right? So they're not like, why are you looking at my car? Yep. And I came in for an oil change. It's what we do. That's what we do, yeah. right? We'll make sure you're safe. That's right. That's our job. I love that uh, that statement. Well, I didn't ask you to look at that. Well, no, you didn't. But we give every car that comes into our shop a thorough multi-point inspection so that we can keep you safe. And I mean, you know, the bottom line is sort of we have to do, we have to look over everybody's car because a week down the road, that guy's going to come back to your shop and go, Ever since it was here, yeah, <laughs> this, doesn't, this doesn't work. Well, Mr. Customer, see this DVI we did? We actually took a photo and documented that scratch or the leak from that area, you know? So, right. I mean, long story short, I mean, we're still sort of, we're protecting ourselves, but we're also protecting the customer because... It's a win-win. It, yes, exactly. You can play it in everybody's favor. It's just better to keep track of that stuff. Make sure you yeah. inspect it and take care of it, period. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I want to shift gears again. We've we're we're coming up on that time to do final thoughts, but I did want to ask: How do you guys manage your position within your team? What do you consider responsibilities for the sales, for the service advisor? Uh, I feel like you need to elaborate. I don't yeah. Know. Okay. Yeah. So, I was confused on that. So I've heard a lot of people say, "Well, technicians." work for service advisors or service advisors work for technicians. There's this kind of a uh, clash between techs and service advisors and uh, as well as maybe defining what exactly the responsibilities of a service advisor should be in their job role. I feel like, and I think, I don't know if you guys, uh, Patrick, for you can probably speak to this more so than uh, uh, BJ because he's not uh, in the shop anymore, but um, team bonuses go a huge, huge way in a shop when it comes to cutting down that wall of, well, why should I, why should I inspect this car thoroughly or why should I sell everything? Um, I mean, for us, I've got my technicians on an individual bonus plan, but they're also on a collaborative team bonus plan. So if, if they sell, if they sell lots, well, sorry, if they do a great inspection and they, build their estimate sheet properly so that the service advisor can turn around and, and sell all that work. Well, then all that goes full circle and everybody benefits from it. Well, I mean, to start with the customer benefits from it because they've got a great working car. Now uh, the technicians benefit from it because they've just made X amount of dollars extra on this pay period. The service advisor is benefiting from it because if the shop's making more money, then that allows the owner to pay the service advisors more money. So I think, if, if there's that clash in your shop of the communications between technicians and service advisors, I think putting a team structured bonus plan in place, it can go huge, huge amounts, but you also need to make sure that that bonus plan is structured to a point where the technicians aren't just trying to call everything and the service advisors aren't just trying to sell everything because all they want to do now is line their pockets. Um, there's like a certain, you got to create the right amount of feng shui. In I, that. Think it's, I think it's about culture. Uh, to, if, you're, if we're talking about, you know, um, what is a service advisor's job? Uh, a service advisor's job is to hold margin, right? Um, build relationships with customers, uh, build relationships with their team. <clears throat> if if your shop has that that us and them mentality with the front and the back, you've got a culture problem. Um, you know, in my shops, uh, it's it's a team. Uh, everybody everybody plays a role. Everybody knows their role, uh, and everybody every, each position is benefited. Uh, everybody's on incentive based uh, pay plans. Um, but who we are as a company uh, is, you know, we care about the customer. You know, my job as an owner is to take care. Number one priority for me as an owner is to take care of my people. Number one. Uh, service advisors, number one job to make sure that they are holding margin and taking care of their team, right? 
And if everybody's playing their role and you've got a good culture in the shop, you won't have those issues. Um, culture uh, is a big, big issue in most shops. And, uh, but Mike's, Mike's correct, you know, uh, setting incentive-based pay plans uh, in place so that everybody can win, uh, that's a big deal. Uh, you've got to create win-wins for everybody. And the, I think the pay plans do need to have clear goalposts that people understand, and more, most importantly, the goalposts need to line up for the entire team. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. Rather than one, yeah. Um, all right, uh, we're getting to that point. Let's wrap it up with some final thoughts. Honestly, there was a ton of questions we didn't get to, and I think this, this is definitely a topic that we need to dissect further in probably other episodes. We could, a just, more. we could just take your question sheet and turn that into three episodes. We totally could. <laughs> I, I went a little ham on that, didn't I? Yeah, you did. But that's, a, <laughs> that's what I do. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, and thank you for no questions yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, final thoughts. Uh, let's start with BJ. I would say know your why, right? If we don't know our why, we're lost. I right? know your why. Once you know and understand your why, you will build your confidence and be better at hearing yes. I feel oh like, I feel like you quoted that from a book. You didn't. <laughs> it's like everything. Everything's written down. <laughs> if it's not written down, it didn't happen, right? right. <laughs> Love it, uh, Mike. What about you? Yeah, I don't know. I think um, you, you've got to you've got to understand what your what your how do you guys say it? Process, process. What's the American process? Process, right? <laughs> Um, you got you got under you got to know you got to know what your you got to know what yours is. I mean, if you aren't consistently portraying the same thing to each and every customer every single time, um, you've you've set this expectation when they first come in, and if you don't deliver better than that the next time they come in, then you've already failed them. And I think mm-hmm. you as an industry need to um, stick with consistency, professionalism. And, and trust. I think those are the, those are three huge, huge things that we as an industry need to focus on. I like it. All I got. Uh, Patrick. Um, use the kiss method. Uh, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, uh, in everything you do um, at the sales, at the counter, uh, present the information, uh, uh, tell the customer this is what needs to be done. If, if you're struggling with sales, simply present the information. You need X, Y, and Z. It's going to cost this much, and we'll have it done by this time. That's it. Keep it simple. Uh, you will sell much more if you just keep it simple and shut up. Uh, most service advisors will talk themselves out of a sale, or they get too scared to present all the information. Um Present it, tell them the price, when it will be done, and that's it. Very simple process. I love how he went slow-mo there. That was so- I know. He went like, <laughs> it was perfect. <laughs> and final thoughts. Uh, I think the best way to handle any objection is to stop them from happening. You know, head them off beforehand with not only at the, you know, selling just, trust why you do things what you do but also just remembering just predicting the objections and and going ahead and selling them against it like i said with the brake fluid flush that you handle the objection before it even happens just stop it from happening yeah have a good presentation yeah and also like checking the car out explain them that you're gonna do it and sell them on why before they even hear about it yeah good good stuff i love it uh i think i think a lot of people get hung up with a a lot of the minutiae and if you just keep it simple and translate your value and translate why you do what you do then it's you're gonna sell Mm -hmm. and you'll sell a lot yeah and if anybody has any questions or needs any help feel free to reach out to me i'm always available i'll be i'm i love helping people that's what that's what we're all about we want to help people if you're struggling with sales, uh, reach out to us on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Join join the Institute group. Join the Institute group. Uh, uh, private message me. Uh, whatever you need, we're, we're here to help. Mm-hmm. 
All right. I'm um, just going to wrap this up. If you guys want us to make questions topics, you can do that through Facebook or uh, emailing the institute at ifrave.com. Uh, join the Institute group. Um, like and follow us to keep up to date on the new episodes and content that we're going to be putting out. And special thanks to those who uh, joined us today. I, I really appreciate you guys coming on and spending your time talking about sales. And thank you to those people who are asking questions. We really appreciate it. We love answering them. We love uh, helping the industry out. And with that, we're out. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Thanks, Have a good guys. day. Join us next time as we talk about cultivating the right culture in your shop. When it comes to something so important, why wouldn't you give it some attention? Subscribe at institutesleadingedge.podbean.com so you don't miss out. Or find us on Spotify and iTunes at The Leading Edge. Join the Institute group on Facebook and get advice from other top shop owners as well as our experienced consultants. Brought to you by the Institute for Automotive Business Excellence. Thanks for listening.